As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Well, hello and welcome. It's Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, with you for the show brought to you by Premier, SBCK and NT Write Online, bringing you the thought and theology of New Testament scholar and former Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright. And today, part two of our live audience Ask NT Write Anything show recorded as part of Unbelievable 2021, just under a month back. Our theme was How to Tell the Greatest Story Ever Told. And you can get all of the video sessions in high definition from our conference page. That's unbelievable.live, including N.T. Wright's brilliant opening presentation and Q&A on how to tell the Jesus story to a world that's forgotten it. Plus, there's more conversations between Tom Wright and Tom Holland. But right now, you can enjoy part two of that live Ask N.T. Wright Anything show that includes the secular historian Tom Holland also in the mix. And find out more about the show. Sign up to ask a question yourself at askntwright.com. But again, for all the videos from this year's conference, do check out unbelievable.live we'll, we'll go to a different sort of question now we'll move away from from the resurrection specifically but um greg asks this question and it might be something that uh, tom holland wants to to chip in on as well um it says it seems to be that the bible is such a complex interwoven story it takes years and years of prayer and reading to begin to understand it Yet it seems that young Christians, at least in North America where I am, don't tend to read the Bible and rely on podcasts, preachers, social media posts to acquire their biblical understanding. And we end up having a conversation about a book that actually many of us have never read. Um, So how do we reignite a personal and corporate embrace of scriptural reading? Um, Yeah, I mean, this is a huge question because it's, it's, uh, you know, how how do we turn the tide on something and it's frequently said, isn't it, that we've got more access to the Bible than we've ever had in history, but people are actually reading it less than they ever have, at least within the Christian church. Um, and you've, you know, talked about the fact that we don't have Tom Holland, the, the, the kind of just religious education that does give people just those very basics of the Bible stories again. But let, let's start with you, Tom, Tom Wright, first of all. Where, can we reignite a personal and corporate sort of love of Scripture? I'm sure we can. Um... It, it is difficult because of the impression that's often been given about the Bible, particularly to young people, um, either that it's just like a Christian version of Aesop's fables. There are all these funny people way back when wearing strange clothes who do odd things and then there's a little moral and then we turn the page and it's something else. In other words, 
we don't tell the great story, the whole story, as a whole story, or if we do, we maybe get it wrong, as I was saying before, and think that the whole thing is simply about how we can be trained to leave this earth and go to heaven, rather than how God, having made a good world, desires and designs to come and live in it with his human creatures. Um, and, of course, renewing it radically in, in, the, in the process and how that was what was going on with Jesus and is going on with the Holy Spirit, who we've hardly mentioned today. Mm. So um, I can understand that then for many people, if they haven't got that sense of how the big story works, then the thing will fall apart. But as Tom Holland and I were agreeing uh, earlier off camera, the Bible is actually riddled with really good stories. I mean, the, the book of Daniel, the book of Esther, Job is difficult, but my goodness, you want to read it at a run. And I think I would say part of the trick is experimenting with different speeds of reading that if somebody wanted to get to grips with the Bible, I would say don't just read the first 10 verses of a chapter in First Kings and then the next week read the next 10 verses. Give yourself the benefit of an hour, switch your smartphone off and just read the whole of 1 and 2 Kings straight mm. through and let it wash over you and feel what's happening like you would with a great novel or, or something. Um, equally, there are times to say... I went too fast through that. If you just read, say, Ephesians straight through at a run, you would want to say, hang on, I need to sit down with chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 and spend an hour or two and pray and go for a walk and figure it out. So f to try to be a bit more savvy about which bits need reading at speed and which needs need reading mm. uh, in minute detail, and to experiment with different things you can do in church, like having a Sunday evening where... Um, you get one or two or three actors to do the whole of Mark's gospel or to do um, Isaiah 40 to 55 straight through, but well read. Mm. So few Christians today in the Western world have heard the Bible being read well and attractively. And it tends to be, and we shut it. And then somebody preaches a sermon for 20 minutes. Try doing it the other way around. Mm -hmm. Try having a three minute introduction by somebody who knows what they're talking about and then having... Uh, a really good reader or actor actually give you 15 chapters. Why mm. not? I mean, mm. well, yeah, <laughs> so there's some ideas. It, uh, run. It, I mean, any ideas from you, Tom, Tom Holland, on how we I can... can't believe I mean, the Bible is amazing. <laughs> it's 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 fantastic. I mean, it's it's the greatest collection of stories. It tells the greatest story. It's the, the supreme collection of poetry, of vision. Um, I mean, it, I, I can't imagine being a believing Christian and not wanting to read it. Because uh, also, because because of course, if you're a believing Christian, then you think that this is actually more than a book. Well, sure. there's kind of amazing clues yeah. to the purposes of everything. So I so I'm, I'm surprised that people aren't Christians well, aren't reading the Bible because well, I'd have thought that was the, the whole point. I wonder though but, if we're, we're suffering from the same thing that a lot of culture is, which is, and I don't know whether this is impacting you as someone who makes their living as an author, but our attention spans seem to be going shorter in a digital age, don't they? But, but the great thing is else. that um, it's very conveniently divided up. <laughs> you know, that's one yes. of the great things. Is kind of, you know, it's, it's not like you, you know, you've got the whole of War and Peace and there's just great chunks of prose. It's divided up into little chapters and sure. little verses so you can cope. You know, and if you begin at the beginning, begin with Genesis, if you've never read Genesis, it's like watching Casablanca for the first time or Hamlet. Um, it's so famous. You go, oh, that's the Tower of Babel. Yes, Oh, that's Jacob wrestling with an angel. Oh, cool, that's, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac being sacrificed and everything. And it's just 
famous story after famous story. And the other thing is that if you're only familiar with it from children's Bibles or Bad Rice Bibles, it's quite a lot that's quite shocking. Well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's, there's quite a lot of, ooh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I would highly recommend, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're in a mood to be shocked, yeah. give, give the end of Judges a go. <laughs> but what do you do with that? That's the problem. In a sense, there was a, there was a time when... People were used to reading the Bible, the kind of the, the diffic- slightly difficult to swallow bits, as well as the bits we all like to put on our bumper stickers or whatever. Um, and, and a number of the questions do revolve around this as well, Tom, so we might as well take one now. Um, Tom Wright, what, what do you do with those passages where, in the Old Testament especially, you've got God smiting and sending in the armies and those sorts of moments? Because um, a lot of people will say, yeah, I love to read the Bible, but then they come across something that jars with certainly the picture of Jesus that they've received from the New Testament, let's say. How do you help people resolve that tension? Yeah, um, Tom and I were talking about this again off camera. The, the Old Testament has a number of different narrative strands which are sitting alongside one another and which appear to us to be jangling against one another. The problem begins when people imagine that basically every chapter in the Bible is giving you some kind of moral example to follow or one particular truth which you can then take out of its historical context. Now, the way that I've approached this problem is to say when God called Abraham in Genesis 12 to be the launching of his project of rescuing the human race and the whole creation... God called somebody who was deeply flawed. The Abraham story goes up and down. Abraham has moments of great faith and trust and obedience and then crash down he comes in the next chapter and does something stupid like going to Egypt and saying Sarah is his sister and so on. And you can see that similarly with Isaac, classically with Jacob of all people, who who is a moral disaster. I mean, you know... Tremendous lad. <laughs> of course he's a tremendous lad. But he, but he, he d- swindles his brother, he deceives his father. Um, uh, you know, he, my, my children are doing a production of Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, really? and you, you do think that was a really rubbish, silly way to treat your kids by playing them off one against well, of another. Course, of, course, you know, of course. It's not a best example of a, no, of a father no. figure. Uh, and, and, but, I mean, Genesis, just as it is, for me, the climax of Genesis is the moment when the sibling rivalry, which has been the theme ever since Cain and Abel, and which has reached its horrible climax with Joseph and his brothers, his brothers selling him into slavery, there comes a moment when it could have all gone horribly wrong and Joseph could have reacted against them. Instead of which, um, Judah goes bail for Benjamin or says he's doing that, and Joseph reveals himself, and then Joseph forgives them. And it's that moment of reconciliation when he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And, and that is just like, oh, my goodness. Somehow the book of Genesis as a whole has a meaning which is much greater than the sum of its individual parts. And then you can do the same with the whole Pentateuch, Genesis to Deuteronomy. You can do the same with the whole Tanakh, the, the Old Testament. You can do the same with the whole Bible. And it's a matter of learning to see the larger narratives that are going on and not, just, and not just the little ones. So the way I would look at it is this. God calls Abraham, who is part of the problem. He is a child of Adam. He is a sinner. He is a, a, a problem character and his family are. 
And God makes promises as to what he's going to do in and through him. But the promises and the reality of who Abraham is and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants are jangling against one another. And those different strands only finally get reconciled on the cross. And the cross is the place where God comes and takes personal responsibility for the whole story and all that is built up in it. Now, many people will say that's not good enough. We, we, we're not going not to mm. take that. Fine. OK, let's live with that question. But that's how I think as a Christian, I am driven to read the Old Testament as a whole, that its disparate narratives find their reconciliation mm. in Jesus and his crucifixion. I mean, my sense is that we, we are nervous of um, a God who is terrifying. Right. Um, it's Jesus meek and mild. It's, you know, <laughs> Jesus as a liberal. Jesus as a guardian reader. It's basically kind of the centre of attention. And the truth is that, um, you know, any God who created this world and this cosmos must be pretty terrifying because it's so full of terrifying things. Mm. Um, uh, Dinosaurs. <laughs> well, quite. I mean, you know, I mean, essentially, see, that's why I always love the book of Job, was because, you know, it's, it's um, Leviathan and, yeah. and, and so on, these wonderful creatures. Um, God created them, and he's boasting. Basically, he's boasting to Job, I created, you know, sauropods. And, I mean, that's always how it seemed for me. Um, always one of the reasons why it was my favourite book. And I, I, and I think that, that um, you know, so... so Job would be the classic example of people trying to say, OK, well, what does it mean? Why does God do this? Why is he doing that? And they, they pre pre present all the kind of classic answers. And, and then God kind of turns up and says, no, you're all rubbish. You've all got it wrong. Um, and Job basically says, you know, say, what's going on? Why have I had all these awful things? Mm. And God just boasts for, you know, yeah. Yeah. verse after verse. Where after were verse. you? Yes. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. And mm. you may think that he's, that's because he can't answer the question. Or you may think the question is kind of irrelevant. Right. And the thing is, that at the end of it, he restores, um, you know, Job's flocks and gives him a new wife. But he doesn't bring his children back to life. Mm. So, gives, so Job is left... New children. Yes. Yeah. So he has new children, but his yeah. dead children, he's left to mourn his children. And that's uns left unspoken, but it's there. And you've, you've, I think you just have to read it and think that's, that's part of the package. Is, yeah. And I think again and again, the most powerful, the most powerful moments in, in the Bible often seems to me is, is precisely where... There's a strangeness there that seems to defy any attempt at explanation, of which I would guess the, um, and I can't remember exactly what happens, but the, rest, the wrestling of, of, of Jacob with the angel, and he kind of touches his knee, doesn't he? And his thigh. His thigh, his thigh, thigh and something yeah. kind of weird happens. It, well, he's, put, he's limping from then on. Yes. Yeah. Why? Yes. What's, well, it's just... Well, you know, I'm sure I, there are all kinds know. of allegorical yeah. reasons yeah. that yeah. the church has. Yeah. But basically, it's just very, very odd. And yeah. you kind of feel that engaging with, you know, if God exists and he's created the entire cosmos, it, it should be odd. No, there should be odd. <laughs> there should be we things shouldn't expect that you to can't understand entirely everything. explain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, yeah. that um, I, and, and obviously this makes people very uncomfortable, but he's a god of wrath. Mm. You know, wrath is a part of him. Mm. And, and, and violence must be a part of him, it seems because to me. Because, as, as we said before, if God doesn't hate certain wickednesses, then he's not a good god. And is, is that your take? I mean, you sometimes are not keen on the way that God's wrath is sometimes expressed. And yeah. there are also questions here on what that means in terms of the crucifixion and so on, Tom. But, but obviously Tom, Tom Holland says we shouldn't shy away from the God of wrath. What do you do with the God of wrath? Do you say yes? Yes, but, but saying the phrase the God of wrath 
could go in several different directions. And I would want to be quite careful because so often, not least in sadly popular preaching, this comes across as a malevolent or capricious God. Um, And the point of the biblical doctrine of the wrath of God is that that's the negative side of God as the good and wise creator and the God of providence, that ultimately when things are being done which deface and destroy humans and God's creation, God rightly says no to that and God will rightly finally say no to it. There will be no... That's why in in the book of Revelation there is no place in the holy city for there's a whole list including people who love and make lies people who distort creation by using words which pull pull bits of god's creation out of shape that's something we could reflect on a lot Mm, right now yeah let's go to another question um Christian asks this. I appreciate all three of you. Thank you very much, Christian. I'm a South African missionary in South Sudan, where there has been decades of civil war and unrest. A church leader at a peace-building conference called it a nation divided by rivers and AK-47s. What's terribly sad is to see how identity politics along ethnic and tribal lines have become part of the church here as well. Being South African and knowing the history of the Dutch Reformed Church's role in supporting apartheid, but also the Anglican Church's role in opposing it, I'm both appalled and hopeful at the church's role in uniting the South Sudanese people. In an increasingly polarised world with unrest and protests ranging from Colombia to Israel to Myanmar, how does the New Testament and church history inform our struggle for peace and breaking down barriers between people? It's a huge question, um, but obviously this is coming from a specific angle of of trying to... And and I remember at the Lambeth Conference in 2008... Um, meeting the Bishop of Darfur and having a short conversation with him and just being humbled by this man's wisdom and spirituality and courage. And, I mean, we as comfortable Western Christians can only admire and say thank you to our brothers and sisters for trying to hang on to the gospel in those situations. So nothing that I could say is anything other than out of admiration Mm. and prayer for them. Um, Having said that, as we've said once or twice today already, it is absolutely basic to the early Christian vision that Jesus is Lord of the whole world, that through his death he has dealt with all the sin and pollution which might have meant, meant, say, that Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles. If this Gentile is in Christ, then his or her sins and pollutions from past idolatries have been dealt with, and we belong at the same table. And that is basic. That's in Galatians, which I think is the first letter that Paul wrote, Um, and it's right there in early Christianity, not as an add-on, first we're Christians and then we ought to have this multicultural church, but because of the gospel itself, all people of whatever background are welcome at the foot of the cross and welcome at the same table. And if the church had been doing that, well, it would have seen the heresy of apartheid for what it was long before it even happened and would have said, no, we can't do that. Haven't you read the Bible? You know? But sadly, for all sorts of historic and cultural reasons, it didn't do that. So the church has always had the responsibility to model that kind of welcoming community mm. in which all are welcome. Of course, when... Jesus welcomes people, his welcome is always transformative, just as well, because if he welcomed me the way I was way back when, you know, as a sinful being, etc., I I shouldn't be staying like that. I need transforming, and I still need it. 
So it isn't the easygoing inclusivity that which we hear about so much. It's rather the radical welcome of the gospel, which says in baptism, you die in the water and you rise again to new life. And once that's happened, you're all on the same footing, whatever your ethnic, moral, cultural background. Mm. I mean, that's what was shocking to the Romans mm. about the early Christians, mm. was that they were people who were of the entire, they, they weren't a people. You know, they weren't mm. like the Jews. They weren't like the Greeks. They weren't like the Gauls. They, they, they disowned ties of, of, of specific fields and temples and towns and embraced everybody. And this was precisely what made them seem so sinister. I suppose they were, they were citizens of nowhere rather than citizens of somewhere. To... And, and I'm assuming that many of the Roman emperors would have loved to be able to have... Uh, the Roman Empire giving them allegiance and coming into a sort of unity of loyalty to Caesar? Well, I think that's, that, that's precisely what happens is, of course, that um, in the long run, in, in the early 3rd century, every free male in the Roman Empire becomes a I'm citizen, citizen and yes. so therefore the Roman Empire is faced with the challenge of constructing some kind of identity that can map onto that civic identity right. and it takes them a century to get there but christianity yeah. fits that need yeah. like a you know a glove to a hand Isn't that interesting? i want to ask you you guys a couple of more let's say down-to-earth questions these are more sort of people just interested in knowing a bit more about you both um uh now firstly uh, tina has some fun questions what what takes you home happy what what do you just sort of you know when when you know you've had a good day what what kind of thing is it that's made made you Made you happy. Is it something to do with cricket in your case, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that, really. Yeah, basically. It, it, basically. It's, it's, it's cricket. OK. Um, t- no. t- tell us about these long walks, because someone else actually has said, can I join you on one of your long walks, Tom? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, they've been a source of great, of great happiness yeah. Yeah. to me, actually. Um, we, they, they began as a kind of response to the lockdown, because I discovered, we, we were told initially, or thought, that we were only allowed, to, you know, when, when the first lockdown kicked in, we could only go out for an hour. Um, so uh, th- that was very limiting. Then we discovered that wasn't actually the law, because mm-hmm. a lawyer, a friend <laughs> who's a lawyer, said, no, you can go for as long as you like, as long as you right. go from your front door. Okay. So we started going on these increasingly lengthy walks. So the first, one, the first walk we did was, um, maybe some of you have seen uh, 28, days after, 28 Days Later, oh, yeah. which is a zombie film, mm. um, and it opens in St. Thomas's Hospital, which is the hospital directly opposite the Houses of Parliament. Um, and it turns out the whole of Britain, he's, it's a guy who's been in hospital for 28 days. He wakes up and discovers that the whole of Britain's been kind they of can convulsed by a terrible apocalypse. viral, viral yeah. force yeah. that's turned people into zombies. So we were, and, and that was the day when uh, the Prime Minister was in St. Thomas's. And, oh, right. And, so it was Easter morning. Hmm. And we went to, West, we got up very early, went to Westminster Bridge. And uh, at, for sunrise, it was completely empty. And we walked down Whitehall and in the film, there's a kind of toppled bus. Right. Everyone's empty. Went to Piccadilly Circus again. It was all completely empty. And it, it was, was like one the, of the zombie apocalypse things. had happened. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then we, uh, again, a, a week later, we did, um, people who've read H.G. Um, Wells's War of the Worlds may remember that, um, you know, the Martians come, they incinerate Surrey. Why not? Um, <laughs> and then they... They, uh, they, everyone flees London and, and it ends with the narrator returning to an abandoned London. He walks through empty London and he ends up on Primrose Hill um, where, above London Zoo where he discovers that all the Martians have died again of, of, of the common cold. So there's a kind of theme there. Yes. But we, we followed the route that Wells oh, right. describes in his novel through empty London. And it was the eeriest thing because he'd say, 
I came to South Kensington, no one moved. I went past the, the yes. Natural History Museum, all was silent, and that's what it was like. Well, it was so yeah. odd. Never forget. Yeah. And so it expanded and expanded mm. and expanded from that. And um, we followed the, the buried rivers of London. We've, we've look, gone and looked at all the ghosts around London. So it's been, it's been wonderful. And uh, am I allowed to, to mention of the charitable venture that I'm Yes, really... and I wanted you to mention it. OK, anyway. so, so it's, it's culminated. So I've been doing these escalating mm. walks, and um, this fuses walking and cricket, because um, in, in, in cricket there's a tradition that county players, professional players, um, after 10 years get given a, a, what's called a benefit, and people are raised money for them so that they will have something when they retire. So I've been awarded a benefit by my cricket team, but we're raising this money for three homeless charities. One, um, a general homeless charity, one specifically for um, homeless women, um, to give them a kind of separate place away from uh, for, for men who may harass yeah. them um, so that they can have a kind of separate space. And one for the Yazidis who I mentioned oh, earlier, um, who are still refugees, who are still living out in tents in desperate need. So we're, 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 we're raising money for that. And one of the things that we did, um, myself, my brother and, and a friend, we walked 45 miles across London. So we went from the, the northern wow. Tip. Um, it was a kind of sports theme, so we went from a cricket ground um, in the north of London on the M25, which is the orbital motorway, right the way down to the south, and we went via Lord's Cricket Ground, um, yeah. uh, Craven Cottage, which is the ground of Fulham Football Club, and Twickenham Rugby wow. Stadium. Um, and so if, if you felt like contributing to that charity, yes. it would be hugely great. We've raised £45,000 already. So tell us the website. huge tribute to the... Yeah. To the I, I can't remember the actual oh. identity, of the, but okay. if you look at my Twitter account, which yeah. is at Holland underscore tom the pinned tweet on that there is a link good good um, and you could, there's a video um, showing the uh, kind of accelerated the path that we took across london good <laughs> i followed it with interest on the day that you were doing because <laughs> you. you were tweeting from all across london thank you thank you thank uh, on the you, journey yeah. and it was it was fascinating so, so well that yeah. made me happy there that you go me, and then the wonderful thing we we, we, <laughs> we started at five we finished at nine in the evening came back home and we discovered that our wonderful local Indian restaurant, Curry Paradise on Brixton Hill, give a shout out to them, sent us this huge free meal. Wow. So, and I just kind That's of felt so good. full of... I love of, it. Oh, everyone's wonderful. Yeah. Humanity was at its best. Yes, it really that was. Day. That's wonderful. Tom, what about I you? I can't possibly imagine that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sadly too old to do great long walks like that, though I do still do reasonably long walks. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed cycling around Oxford since we've been back in Oxford. And at the... Beginning of the lockdown, same thing. These great streets in Oxford that are normally full of students and tourists with some of the most wonderful architecture on a very sort of local scale. And just to cycle to and fro around those, um, uh, this time last year, April, May, was glorious weather. Mm. Um, that, that was just a very happy experience. And my wife and I were allowed by New College, we live just opposite the gate of New College, um, to go and take our daily walk together round their garden and to watch... The ama- it's a wonderful garden, which Robin Lane Fox, the, the historian, he, mm. he's the gardening expert there, interestingly. And to watch the slow development of the shrubs and so on through the season and, and to be followed day by day by, we think, the same Robin that came and sang to us. Um, my wife and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. We got photographs of this Robin around the, around the house as a reminder that, that it was a very difficult time with the pandemic, but there was this kind of shaft of light in the middle of it. Mm. For me, um, yes, sport. If my team happens to win a match, um, then I will go happy, mm. uh, go home happy. 
um, but also music. Um, if I and one of the great sadnesses of the last year has been no concerts, no no live concerts. Mm. We we live very close, just short walk to um, a couple of the great concert venues in Oxford. Um, actually, the last thing that I went to in the Sheldonian before lockdown was Jeremy Irons doing T. S. Eliot's Four Quartets, mm. which was. Extraordinary. Ray Fiennes is about to do that. I, I, in Oxford, yes. I know. I saw, I saw the advertisement. <laughs> I may go to that too. But, I mean, I've loved the four quartets yeah. for, for, for ages. And to have somebody with that kind of voice uh, just giving it to you, mm, um, mm. It's, it's enormous. Um, but you know, um, this, this struck me about going to church over the, the past few months mm. is um, Bartholomew's has a wonderful choir, which they've kind of socially distanced, been managed to reintroduce. But also I miss drama. I miss going to, mm. to plays. I miss the kind of spectacle. And I realise that a church service is a drama. Of course. That it's this great, you know, it's acted out and you participate of course. in of it. Of course. And I, I suddenly realised that you get music and you get drama in a church service. And this is what I've basically been missing. Yes, yes. yes. Um, yes. And I yes. suddenly realised why, you know, perhaps this is another crisis that the church faces there's just too much rival entertainment but when there is no other source of live music or drama then you go there and yeah, you know it yes, serves yeah. it up to you and, and, yeah. and it's and, it's kind of wonderful and I, I i was just building up to saying that um i'm very very much looking forward to when proper services in the churches that maggie and i or the college chapels that maggie and i go to are fully open again at the moment you can only get so many into a college chapel because you have to be distanced and the choir has to be spread out as well and there's no singing of hymns mm. um and for me the the regular discipline of discipline the joy of worship um singing singing included um is is absolutely fundamental and uh one of the things yeah. that gives yeah. meaning to everything yeah. else well maybe one last question to to finish off for both of you um someone else asks what's your favorite passage of the bible <laughs> and why so if you had to just choose one what what might it be um don't know if do you want to go first, Tom Holland, or do you want to leave it to Well, I've already mentioned it. I, I, it. It's God's speech to Job oh, okay. in the whirlwind. Yeah. I, I, and in the, the King James Version, because I think it's, um, as, as poetry, it's, I mean, it's... It's breathtaking. Oh, sublime, I think, yeah. is, is, yeah. The proper, is the proper right. word for it. And I, I think also it is incredible that um, the Bible has the book of Job because it is full of every doubt that, mm -hmm. that, that anyone who has, um, who has doubted uh, the existence of God or the, the justice of God has, has expressed. And it kind of confronts you with the, the whole mm. issue of, of mm. theodicy and the question of good and evil and why, why do bad things happen to good people. And there it is in the middle, and it's... And probably the earliest one... Of them all, you know. Yeah, and it, of, you know, yeah. there's a kind of dinosaur. <laughs> a couple of dinosaurs there. Yamoth and Leviathan and woo. <laughs> so perhaps, perhaps an interesting place to finish with you, Tom Holland, just because, you know, one, one person was asking, have you, have you resolved your dinosaur doubts, basically? Do, or are you kind of just in that Joe place where you're going to say, I don't know, but maybe, maybe there is an answer that's beyond me? Um, well, there are times where I feel that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've talked about some of those moments mm. today, yes. uh, and I absolutely feel that. Mm. Um, and then there, there, there are times where I just think, you know, it's all a bit it's all <laughs> nonsense. 
um, and, 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 you know, it kind of it com comes and goes. Comes and goes. But, but it, I think it probably comes more than it goes now. I think that's, you know, definite. It's been lovely to have the, the honesty of, of just having you here as a, a lovely counterpoint very often, but also just a colleague to, 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 to have these conversations with during the day. Tom, thank you very much. Uh, we didn't get to your favourite Bible passage, Tom, and this would be... A, <laughs> we're going to wind up with it. Glad you gave me some time, though. I'm still <laughs> going around. Um, where do you start? Where do you stop? I, I, after Tom said that about Job, I wanted to point out my father, who had been a prisoner of war for five years, um, came through with a quiet but very strong, robust faith which lasted him the rest of his long life. His favourite book of the Bible was Ecclesiastes. Mm. Now, I don't know anyone else whose favourite <laughs> book of the Bible is but a sort of sense of there is a time to everything. You get through, you don't understand it, but you've got to be loyal and faithful. And that kind of summed up my dad, mm. and I'm hugely mm. grateful for that. Um, for me, it's hard to pick one of either the Gospels or a bit of Re perhaps Revelation 4 and 5, I actually want to say Isaiah 40 to 55, okay. a single great poem. And I've often said to students, if this had been lost in the sands of Egypt or something, and somebody had discovered it, dug it up, translated it, edited it, it would be on the front page of every newspaper in the world because it is stunning poetry mm. and um, passionate hope and faith and and wonderful denunciations of the Babylonian gods and goodness... You love God. a bit of that. Right. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Um, but, but in the middle, this poem of the servant who is despised and rejected as a result of which we are somehow saved. But it's not, that's not a separate poem dropped into it. it it's, it's absolutely part of the warp and woof of the whole thing. And ending, 55, with the vision of new creation that instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. It, it's the reversal of the curse of Genesis yeah, 3. Yeah. And to see how that works, uh, written sometime who knows when, 2,500, 600 years ago, and the way in which those themes come through into the New Testament, not as here's a bit in which that's fulfilled and here's a bit in which, but the whole vast sweep of the purposes of God the Creator and God the Redeemer, you can sort of sum it all up and say... Now at last we can see what John's Gospel or Romans or whatever is all about. Thank you so much for all of your input across the last hour for this special edition of the Ask N.T. Wright and Ask Tom Holland podcast. Um, it's been really great to have you both on. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Next week, we're back to the usual format, answering your questions on wisdom literature, uh, books like Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Uh, you can find out more about this show, of course, and find further videos, how to ask a question yourself and more resources by registering at asknttwrite.com. Uh, so we'll see you again next week. But remember, you can get all of the sessions from our unbelievable conference featuring Tom Wright, Tom Holland and many other speakers in high definition over at the conference page, unbelievable.com. Dot live. See you next time.